Tenekoto, Nomai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, welcome back. A special hi to all our new listeners. In the first season of our podcast, I did two episodes on skinwalkers, a bit of the history and people's personal experiences. I have to admit that this is a subject that has fascinated me since I first read about them so many decades ago. It continues to have a fascination for me. So if this is a subject you also find interesting, be sure and check out the two episodes from Season 1. In these episodes, I spoke with a woman. This woman had her voice altered and spoke on the condition of anonymity due to the taboo about talking about this subject. But she, like my guest this episode, is from the Navajo Nation and she continues to live there. My guest tonight, like my guest last episode and my guest next episode, came to my attention through a series of posts they made on TikTok. Their posts detailed a personal experience that they had with a skinwalker. Of course, this immediately caught my attention. I reached out to them, and this episode is the result of that. Speaking about skinwalkers is not something that most will talk about openly, as my guests today are. It's, as I mentioned before, very taboo and discouraged for a number of reasons personal safety being possibly the most important reason. For some, this is a very scary and fear-inducing topic. With that being said, are you willing to walk back with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Let's begin. Muriel Mio and Isaiah are Navajo, born and raised on the Navajo Nation in Arizona. They grew up in a Christian household, but still follow the traditions and cultures of their Navajo ancestry and background. They both enjoy telling stories and decided to remove the taboo of talking about certain creatures or stories from their tribe. Whilst they don't actively pursue paranormal or supernatural things, they do tell the stories of their encounters and the encounters of friends and family.
I want to welcome you both, Mio and Isaiah, for joining me today. Uh, and my listeners, I'm really grateful to have you here with us. And I've been really excitedly waiting for our conversation. Now, for my listeners, I want you to know that I first came across this couple on TikTok and I was really impressed with their honesty and the fact that they were putting their face out there talking about things that are regarded as sacred or taboo or just not talked about in general public uh, amongst their culture. Now, maybe we could, maybe you could tell us, uh, either of you could start with where you're from and what your cultural background is, please, if you don't mind. Well, first, my name is Isaiah Dergini. I come from a small town in the Navajo Reservation called Denahoto. And that's where I come from. Um, my name is Mio. I actually come from a small town, a, a slightly bigger town than my husband, about 30 minutes away um, from Kianta, Arizona. Uh, but we were both born and raised on the Navajo Nation in Arizona. Is that near, like, I know there's a part in the States, they call it the Four Corners or something like yes. that? Yes. So we're actually yes. about an hour and a half away from the Four Corners area, probably like an hour, like an hour away. Right. Um, where so, I'm from is more close to the Arizona-Utah border. It's about 30 minutes away from uh, Monument Valley. Monument Valley is a, a very um, famous uh, national park in Utah. So that's right. where my, my dad's family is from. So I'm about 30 minutes away from there, and then he's about 30 minutes away from me. Right. And I have heard of Monument Valley. That, that's the place where they have those beautiful... The buttes. Yes, they're kind of shaped like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, shaped like why I was trying to just, sorry, listeners, I was waving my arms around and I know you can't see me doing that, but yes, all the beautiful stones that are shaped, uh, very, very beautiful place, very beautiful place. I was in uh, Utah for a while, just for a couple of months learning Spanish before I went down to Guatemala, but I loved it. I love the countryside. I love the desert. It's just, just absolutely beautiful. It has a real energy and stillness about it out in, out in the desert doesn't it it's just beautiful I'm very biased but I agree I think there's something uh, there's uh, almost an otherworldly beauty from uh, the southwest like being out in the desert uh, honestly for me I don't think anything quite compares to a sunrise or a sunset there I agree I speak I went to Australia for those who are new to my program, I'm from New Zealand and I visited Australia a couple of years ago and I went to Uluru, which is smack bang <laughs> in the centre of the desert in Australia. The skies were amazing and and the vastness, you say an hour away in terms of distance in the States, that's not very far at all, is it? An hour's distance. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Whereas here in little New Zealand, that's quite a ways to travel. <laughs> so maybe you could begin, if you don't mind, by giving us a little bit about your background and how you grew up. Perhaps some of the, um, because I know there is so much interest with people who want to learn. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could give us some of your cultural norms that you grew up with, you know, like your taboos, your traditions, like no whistling at night, okay. stuff like that. Well, I can go first. Um, growing up, my mom was raised in our traditional ways. Um, 
her family all grew up traditional Navajo. They grew up in the old teachings, the old ways, waking up, doing your prayers, offerings and stuff of that sort. My dad's side of the family, they grew up Christian due to my grandmother. Um, growing up, my mom uh, changed her life, became a Christian, but uh, she's the only Christian on her side of the family. So growing up for me, I always had a conflict um, with being Christian and having my relatives and my family side would always criticize me for how you say it, um, studying or having faith in the white man's religion is what they would always say. Um, right. So I grew up knowing a bunch of taboo stuff to do as a don'ts, what to do, what not to do, wake up in the morning, what not to do, what not to say, things that I should be wary about. Um, like you said, like you mentioned earlier, um, no whistling at night. Also, um, you can't point at the rainbow with your finger um, or else your one of your fingers would um, be a little short. As you can see, I did that. And I have a smaller, I have a smaller thumb. So growing up, I would point at the, the, the rainbow and they would always say, don't do that. But anyways, I grew up in all of that. Um, I did grow up in some of the, the ceremonial ways and stuff like that. So I was always kind of conflicted between being Christian and being Native American or being Navajo on our own mm. traditional teachings. Um, <clears throat> as far as Skinwalker, um, don't really like mentioning that part because there was a mentioning of someone in my family who did practice it but um, they're no longer here with us because they chose not to follow through. Um, uh, that's as pretty much as far as I can go on that one. Uh, so for me, um, my grandparents on both, uh, both my maternal and paternal side were uh, the first Christians in their family as well. So I was raised in a Christian household. Uh, my grandma, my maternal grandma, she comes from a long line of, uh, medicine woman. She was actually taught to uh, what, what, it's what they call hand trembling. It's a form of uh, what a medicine woman does. Uh, that's what she was supposed to be taught by my great grandmother, but she didn't feel right learning that. And um, she declined to learn that practice. So it was years later, she ended up having her, her own kind of near death experience where she um, became a Christian and it was sometime later, my grandfather, her husband, he was a practicing medicine man. Um, I don't quite know what his uh, testimony was and how he came to Christ, but he ended up becoming a Christian as well. So as far as I'm aware, uh, he was the first on his side of the family to also um, end up changing faiths. For me, I didn't really have a huge um, kind of, I guess, identity crisis with uh, what I believed in. I was always taught um, right. certain traditional ways, uh, stories and stuff by my grandmother. But I guess it wasn't a huge conflict for me until I got older. And then I kind of realized that there's a lot of conflicting things between both beliefs. I think it's something that I, I still go back and forth with um, trying to preserve uh, that cultural identity and the traditions that we were both taught growing up and then trying to... Um, mm still believe it, have that belief in uh, God and, you know, Jesus and stuff like that. Right. It's really difficult, isn't it, to, and there's a lot of conflict there for a lot of people in similar situations. 
going back to what you said in uh, amongst the native Maori here in New Zealand, they also have a tradition of not whistling at night, which is, I find is very interesting that we both share the same tradition. We also have a lot of other things that uh, are not acceptable, like it's taboo to sit on a table to put your bottom on a table that people work from or eat from, don't wear shoes in the house, just lots of little things like that. And a lot of them have a a basis in actually common sense. You know, why would you want to eat off a table where somebody's been sitting? You know, it's just uh, uh, hygienic practices, I guess. But I know that there's a lot of our cultural, traditional beliefs are rooted in the spiritual practices like I, ha- I had never heard the one about pointing at a rainbow before that's very fascinating to me I find that's really interesting what sort of is it okay if we talk about uh, before we get on to other subjects if we talk about some traditional beliefs because uh, I mean I'm I'm just like a sponge I love to learn about this stuff and it helps my education you know it helps me to understand other cultures and I always think that it's such a great thing to learn about other cultures it expands your understanding and interesting things for me like we both have no whistling at night that you know here we are on opposite ends of the worlds yet and native people have the same tradition yeah yeah we have no problem with that usually uh like you said you found us on tiktok a lot of the lives that we end up doing with um the people that follow us we actually do give like little like tidbits of history and things um answering questions about our culture and stuff like that. It's like, it's something I personally enjoy doing. So usually my husband just lets me speak. Yeah. So <laughs> like my wife is saying, she's pretty, pretty really passionate about that. Um, growing up for me, it was always told that, uh, not told, but it was always kind of shunned a little bit for us to teach our ways to um, non-Native Americans, especially non-Navajo. Um, right. But I think that at some point in life, uh, it would be interesting for other people to understand and know our culture history as well. Like you said, cultural appropriation, um, mm. just so they can get a better understanding and knowledge. Um, there's also a few other things that are taboo for Navajo as well. There's another thing that we do is uh, hair your hair. It's sacred to us. You know, growing out your hair, having long hair, that is why for me, I'm trying to grow my hair out now after many years of cutting it and being in the military. Um, when your hair gets cut or if your hair falls out, we're always told to bury it or burn it because in a way that is a way for people to use dark magic or witchcraft in some way, shape or form, they will use your hair or any pieces. Like I said, you know, they, our hair is pretty sacred to us and um, we were always told to either bury it or burn our hair or pieces of clothing or personal belongings um, because it can be used a way for a connection and witchcraft or dark magic. So whenever someone would get their hair cut in some way, shape or form, we're always told to burn it. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone knows that we shed hair constantly. So um, growing up for me, um, people would sweep it up. And if we see hair, people just throw it in the trash normally. But growing up for traditional for my side of the family, we're always told to gather the hair, take it outside, burn it or bury it. So that was actually a thing for me too. Like, uh, like I said, it's interesting because my grandparents, um, 
they became Christian, but despite being Christian, they always held on to a lot of those traditions and mm. cool things like that. So when I was growing up, um, I always had really long hair. So my grandma used to be very adamant that, uh, uh, once like you gather the hair that's either been shed or that like you gather in the comb or brush or something, uh, to burn it. Uh, I was also told by, um, another one of my friends whose grandmother was a, uh, medicine woman as well, that, um, not to walk outside barefoot as well, because, uh, the oils from like the feet can be left in the imprint, um, of, uh, when you're outside and, um, people who practice like dark magic or I guess what we would call bad medicine, um, mm. they could use that as well to uh, make specific, I guess, like hexes um, towards you because it's a, a personal belonging, I guess. Oh, actually, that's a very, very valid point and, and one that I hadn't considered, but that also is very common mm. amongst other uh, belief systems, um, pag practicing pagans and Wiccans and stuff like that. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's energy. It's our energy that we leave behind. So I, I understand that thinking. Going back to your lawn here, I remember reading an article. Uh, I think it was about, not the Navajo wind talkers. Uh, it was about Native men who were inducted into the army that they used as trackers. Uh, and I remember reading it was really fascinating how they were really good trackers. And then they, when they had to cut their hair, the army made them cut their hair. They lost that ability of tracking it's, it's a true thing i can't remember where i read it and so the army did some research and they ultimately let these men who were specifically trained for specific missions to keep their hair long because their hair acted as an antenna uh, for their senses so like my husband was saying um our hair is very special um especially in our culture i know it's a common thing amongst a lot of indigenous cultures but for our tribe specifically, um, hair represents rain because we live in the Southwest. So it's a very dry, uh, arid area. So the reason why we were always taught to um, uh, grow our hair out is because if we cut it, it's like uh, inviting a drought. Oh. So we were always told like, since our hair represents rain that we're supposed to keep it long so that we can always get like our monsoon seasons that we can have, uh, you know, that water to, for basically out in, in the Southwest, water is life for us. Yes, yes. So definitely. it's crops, it's things for our livestock and such. And uh, it's still such a big thing, even to this day, water is a huge resource out there. So that tradition of keeping our hair long is, uh, it's unfortunately not um, kept too much anymore by our generation and the generations after us, but a lot of people still definitely believe that oh that's really really interesting i always wondered why the lawn hair was so significant and the braiding of the hair has a significance as well doesn't it when you braid it yes um so i know this is the same for a lot of uh, plain tribes as well usually they say when you're braiding your hair you're supposed to only kind of uh think of good intentions or positive stuff because um this kind of like the Usually when you're making your hair, it's the beginning of the day. You know, you want a lot of that positivity right. to, to go into that, you know, uh, especially with the Navajo culture, we have this thing called the beauty way, which is a uh, very significant in our culture. So it's a, uh, it's a prayer basically. 
So um, that in itself, if you ever listen to the prayer, um, it's inviting like positivity into your life. Like in, in all, I guess like in all ways, pretty much. Yeah. Well, for me, from my understanding was that braiding one's hair was not really a, um, how do you say it? Like a fashion for Native American men and women back in the day. For us, it was putting our hair in a tige, which is a traditional hairstyle bun that you would see most Navajo or even some other local tribes like Hopi and them do their own form, own versions of tige. And that's kind of the way we would do it, not really braiding. So the Plain Tribes, which is like the Lakota, um, Cherokee, a lot of the ones that are further up north from us, do braid their hairs. It's kind of more the iconic right. yeah, like more, braid. Right. So like my husband is saying, we would do uh, what we call like a, a hair bun, basically. Yes. But um, even with that, there is a similarity when you're brushing your hair. Like I remember when my grandmother used to brush my hair for me as a when I was younger, she would still, it was still part of the teaching is um, you want good intentions, even when you're brushing it. Right. Even if we don't, even if our tribe specifically didn't do the hair braid, it was still something that was a part of um, right. the daily routine. Right, absolutely. I run a Facebook group. It's, it's only small. It only has about 6,000 people in it. But I'm always telling the people that intent is absolutely everything. It's your intent, intent is what creates action and it draws energy to you. So I totally get what you're saying. I absolutely understand it entirely. That's really interesting. And I know that a lot of the Māori men here in New Zealand also wore their hair in buns. And they have combs that they hold it with, special combs that are carved out of shell or wood. And I don't know the name of them. I wish I did. I love it. I love the buns. Love them. And they often put uh, feathers in their hair as well. Uh, what I find fascinating is that there are a lot of cultural similarities. They are slightly different, but the basics are the same, like the hair. The, the... Can you tell me why you don't whistle at night? Well, um, what I was always told was if you whistle at night, you're, you're kind of, um, calling out to spirits in a way, shape or form. You're, you're kind of inviting them in a way. And, um, we were always told not to venture out at night due to multiple and many reasons, right. and including up to skillwalkers. Mm. Um, I'm not really knowledgeable on that, but there was quite a lot of things growing up, um, especially from my grandmother passing it on to my parents and to my grandparents and not only just myself, but friends and families that I have, they would always encounter um, supernatural things or extraterrestrial. You'd be surprised. UFOs and sightings of that sort are mm. pretty common, especially in our traditional beliefs and stuff like that. We were always told not to go outside. Never for those specific reasons, mm. we we're always ushered inside and um, to remain inside during the night times. Um, as far as whistling, that's basically what I was told is that you're inviting um, spirits in a way, shape, or um, when you whistle at night. So I was always told that we weren't allowed to do that or we shouldn't be doing that. Right. And what about if you hear whistling? So what I was always told is you're never supposed to reply back. That's kind of a given. Um, it's kind of the same thing with if you hear your name being called, uh, not to call back or to answer. Uh, it's, what I was told was that um, 
I guess with the whistling uh, at night is if you whistle at night, um, spirits supposedly like they can't see you. It's not until like you whistle mm. or uh, that they know where you're at, your location. At least that's what I was told. And then as far as uh, hearing somebody whistling at you or hearing somebody call your name at night, I was always told like, um, if you don't know who it's coming from, don't answer because uh, it could be a spirit as well. And when you answer back, then they're able to see your location. Right. That's really interesting. Now, can, the thing that brought you both to my attention was your story about the skinwalker. Could you please share that with my audience, if that's okay? Uh, do you want us to talk about what a skinwalker is or do you want to share Yes, let's start. Let's start with that um, because I, I, I have a lot of new uh, listeners, so who may not know what a skinwalker is. So that's a, a, a great place to start. Thank you. So for skinwalkers, I do know that there's different origin stories based on what part of the reservation you're coming from. For me, and my husband, we had a similar um, origin story that we were told when we were growing up, which is that uh, skinwalkers were basically they're people. They're people that um, a long time ago, the ability to shapeshift into animals was actually uh, kind of seen as a, a good thing. They were used as messengers uh, in between small bands of Navajo, especially during the times when uh, the US Army was trying to round us up and we had those conflicts with the, the US government at that time. Right. So the people who had this ability to shapeshift into animals were used as messengers or kind of like an early warning system for other bands of Navajos so that um, they could hide or flee whatever they need to do. It wasn't until, um, I don't know quite when that change happened, but just like anything else, humans are very valuable to a lot of things mm. like greed, revenge, um, jealousy, uh, things like that. So when those started becoming a thing with the people who practiced um uh, skinwalking, skin, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a verb, but uh, it started becoming more synonymous with like evil intentions or e like uh, evil intent. Right. So skinwalkers were likened to witches? Um, they weren't like uh, witches. They were basically medicine men. Medicine. They were basically taught. They were taught the art of doing the shape-shifting. Right. And like my wife said, um, we were back in the day bands of Navajos. We weren't a united a united um, tribe. Uh, we we're different bands with different head chiefs, and um, uh, yes, we would war upon one another and that sorts. But um, the area we grew up at, our our little area, um, that's the origin story of how we were taught. Um, a friend of mine who lives in the further southern area, New Mexico part of the reservation. Uh, she was told that skinwalkers basically the same way uh, they were used as messengers. Um, they were also used as a way for gathering warriors in the time of need. If there were a tribe or something coming to make war on us and we were so spread apart that they would send out skinwalkers because they were able to travel faster. Meet um, they were able to shapeshift uh, into multiple animals right. to make um, travel up further distances. And they would be used to send messages to gather the warriors or to inform the people that such things, bad things were coming to go and hide. Um, I was also told from her, her family comes from a bunch of medicine, man, and she still practices the old traditional ways. 
and she's very adamant on it. She's actually writing a book on being Native American in a modern world. Oh, wow. And how, uh, yeah, she's coming out with her own book about how people are trying to corrupt uh, our stories to um, uh, further, how you say it, modern agendas in their mm-hmm. way, shape, or form, and how stories are being twisted to fit um, ideas. But she was told that skinwalkers were used for hunting as well because um, game was so scarce. Not scarce, but game was kind of hard to find. Right. Uh, skinwalkers would go out and locate herds of deer or locate um, certain um, animals for hunting, and they would report back, and they would send out the scouts. The scouts would go and find them, and um, they would use the skinwalkers, too, to help herd these animals to where um, these tribes would, or these other bands of Navajo would be able to hunt them and gather food or pelts on for clothing and that sort. So that was another reason. Um, that's another another way skinwalkers were used was to locate game. Oh, so it's it's very um, unfortunate, I guess, where that shift happened. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we always hear stories like this about how they were used for good intentions, yeah. but yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> we we really don't know where that huge shift changed and where it became more synonymous with evil evil intentions. Yeah, that's really, I find that quite sad, actually, but it's a, also a reflection on human nature, isn't it? Whether it's it done through greed or feeling slighted or whatever, whatever the intent, the intent is that, yeah, that's really a shame. I had a question. I should have written it down, but it's gone now. Oh, in order for one to become a skinwalker these days, is it correct that they have to do some really bad stuff? Yes. Um, you, I'm not entirely sure how you would go around to becoming one or finding someone that would uh, teach you. I was always told, and there's a pastor actually who practiced the ways of skinwalking. Like I mentioned before, my I ain't mentioned it, but my dad's a pastor. Um, he came out of some hard ways. Uh, throughout his years of ministering, he came across another Native American folk, uh, Navajo, who's a pastor and lives here in Oklahoma with us. He's, his family, unfortunately, practiced that sort of witchcraft and magic. He was brought up the same way. And I remember when I first got out of the Marines, we traveled all the way back across from North Carolina to Arizona, we stopped and we met this gentleman and his wife. And I asked him the question of if the skinwalkers were real. And he was like, yes. And I was like, oh. And I was like, how does one become one? And he says, you're not taught. You don't find out. You're kind of chosen. You're kind of picked. Mm -hmm. You're kind of picked to do this. And it is up to the person if they want to continue on with trying to practice this dark magic, yes, you would have to go through ceremonies. You would have to be brought up in it. You would have to do multiple ceremonies and bad things. Um, you would also have to interact with, um, uh, he really didn't get too much in detail to it, but he said one of the final things that you would have to do in order to fulfill be able to transform into the skin is you would have to take a life of a loved one, yeah, someone that you love. That is one of the, the final steps for you to do you would have to do such a thing in order to fully be able to gain the capabilities of shape shifting into a skin or whatever it is that you want to do. 
And he said that he did not want to do that for his target pit was picked for him was his sister who he loved dearly and said no. And he, uh, wouldn't share with me what happened, but um, he did pray to God that he would be saved, that he would be protected, and no harm would come to him and his sister, and no harm did come to them. Mm. And that's how he became a Christian, because he said that God did protect him and his sister. Right. And that's why he's a pastor now right. to this day. And I that's exactly what I'd heard. I'd heard that they had to kill a loved one. And I remember mm. reading a story about a woman who, and they often... I understood that they pick specific people who have abilities or they feel are particularly malleable. And I I recall reading the story about the woman who was told, she was given the option, actually, she was told that she had to kill one of her children or they would kill her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you see how it goes? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about that time. You're, you're given the option to do so. And if you don't want to go through with it, yeah, you basically forfeit your life. It's an ultimatum, ultimately. Yeah. So yeah, that it's either your life or theirs, pretty yeah. much. It's pretty horrific, isn't it? And, of course, you can't tell who is it or who isn't a skinwalker just by looking at them. It could be your neighbor and you wouldn't know. Yeah. Yes, we usually uh, tell people to ask that very same question on our TikTok channel about um how do you know who some if somebody's a skinwalker and it's like you don't it could be a family member a friend Mm. a neighbor anybody really yeah i would say unless you're particularly sensitive to energies you know like like myself i'm a i'm a sensitive and you can pick up different people's energies you you might feel that there was something off about that person although you might not necessarily know what it was you feel uncomfortable or uneasy or, or something like that. But other than that, the average person wouldn't be able to tell. And that's the scary thing, isn't it? That's the scary yeah. thing about it. So having that understanding of what a skinwalker is, can you please share your experience that you had? Yes. So my experience takes place in um, the summer of 2017. My wife and I moved to Japan at the time, and uh, I moved back. I was living in Arizona, back in my hometown of Den Hotel. Um, I just got an off work. And uh, just to give you a little backstory before this whole thing happened, um, I came home from work one night, I would say about a week or maybe maybe a week and a half before this whole experience happened. Uh, my window to the room that I was staying at, I was uh, living in my aunt's house and uh, remodeling her home for her um, due, to, due to some damages. And um, when I came home, the window to the room was open. And um, the next morning, as I was getting ready for it, I noticed that three of my shirts were cut. There were little square fabrics that were cut out. So me being Native American and Navajo being taught our traditions, I knew that, you know, this thing was using my clothes to gain an attachment in some way, shape or form. So fast forward about a week later to the experience that um, I shared on TikTok, the one came across. I was in bed and it was late at night because I came home from, and I was on the phone with my wife that night. And living in that house, um, there would always be cats that would walk on the roof. And you can really, you can distinguishly tell the difference between 
a cat and someone running on the roof. Mm. So you could hear the paws of the cats and they would always stay at the edge of the house near the trusses. And that night I was on the phone with my wife and I heard running on my roof. And this was not just some light footed thing. This was like someone stomping your feet, running up and down in the middle part area, all the way down towards the living room and back to where on top of um, the room I was at. And I was telling my wife about that. I was like, hey, I was like, you know, I, I hear someone running on my roof. And um, I don't know, could you hear that? Honey? I didn't hear the footsteps on uh, that he was talking about, but um, I remember he did mention uh, a couple of days prior that his window would be open and he was hearing like uh, loud bangs around the house mm. as well as the, the footsteps on top of the, the roof. I didn't personally, um, I'm still kind of skeptical about the things like that. So I, I was always like, oh, maybe it's the cats. And I remember right. that night he was really adamant when I was on the phone with him. He's like, it's not the cats. It's not the cats. I know like they only walk on the edge of the roof. He's like whatever is up there, it's running all over the roof. He's like, you can't, he was getting frustrated with me that I couldn't hear what he was at that time. So as I was explaining to my wife and all this that was going on, I had a lot of guns in the house. So I heard some commotion going off in the back of the house and it sounded like an animal that was being attacked in a way. So I told my wife what was going on. I got up and um, the first time I left my phone, right? Yeah, I left the phone in the room. I went out to the back and um, I grabbed my shotgun because we live in the middle of nowhere. God knows what the hell it could be outside. Right. So I grabbed my shotgun and I would have something called buckshot, which is nine, nine really big pellets inside of a slug. I had that, I went outside and when I opened the door, uh, immediately to my right, I remember seeing this big black figure and it wasn't solid. It wasn't a solid black figure. It was almost like opaque. Yeah. Like, like a smoky. And it was kind of translucent. And I remember seeing it mauling on something. And it was about five feet from me. I took aim with my shotgun. And I know a lot of people were saying, oh, uh, maybe you missed. No, I was a Marine. I know I had to shoot a rifle. Mm. And I'm, I wasn't going to miss. I shot whatever this thing was. It immediately dropped what was in its mouth and it took off. And when I went to go pick up what it was, it was a cat. And I've seen this cat around the house. Um, I saw her laying there and two. Um, by the door, we have a, a water barrel. And on that water barrel, there was an aluminum uh, takeout tray. So I scooped the cat up in that and I put it on top of a refrigerator that was outside. And a lot of people were skeptical because I said it was nine feet tall. If you go onto the reservation, you're going to have people that have a lot of junk outside their house. Right. And this refrigerator was sitting on top of things as well. So it was pretty high. And I put this tray on the very top of it. And I went inside to go get my phone. And uh, as I was getting my stuff, I heard um, something again outside, and I was on the phone. I grabbed the phone with my. Uh, I grabbed my phone, and I went back outside, and the whole tray was gone. From how high I put it, the whole thing was gone. And um, I was telling my wife, I was like, I was like, the tray is gone. And she was like, 
what? And I was like, no, I was like, the, the damn tray's gone. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, there's no way whatever it was could have grabbed this thing. Cause I'm about close to six feet on one inch side of six feet. I stood on my tippy toes and stretched my arms all the way up to put this thing on top of it. So this thing had to be pretty significantly tall to grab this tray off of this refrigerator. And uh, <laughs> I went back inside and do you remember anything from this side, honey? So uh, from what happened with that, because like he said, when he first went out and he initially saw um, the black figure um, attacking the cat, uh, he dropped the phone in the room. So I had no idea what was going on. I was freaking out because uh, that's when he heard the, the cat crying out, basically, when it was being attacked. And um, I had no idea what was going on. So I just my husband was like, I'll be right back. And he ran out. So he just left the phone in the room and he came back in a couple of minutes later and he was like, something attacked the cat. And I was like, oh, like what happened? And initially, like my first reaction was like, oh, it's probably um, some stray dogs that are out there. And he's like, no, he's like, I saw this big um, black thing. He was like, it almost looked looked like a wolf. And he was like, it's really large. He's like, I shot it, but it ran off. So I was like, okay. I was like, what did you do with the cat? Is she still alive? And I remember him telling me uh, uh, that she was still alive and that he put her in the tray. So what he told me was he put her on a barrel. That's what I remember. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably like the main difference we had in our stories was um, he put her in a barrel or on top of the barrel in the aluminum tray. And then he came back in to grab the phone. So when he grabbed the phone, uh, we both heard a loud um, thump. So we're like, what was that? That's when he took um, the phone. We were on a video call. And when he opened the door, he was like, the tray is gone. The cat's gone. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I put the cat right over there. And he was like showing me on the phone. And he's like, I put her in an aluminum tray. So I was like, what? I was like, okay. I was like, is a tray anywhere? Did something grab it? Thinking like maybe it was a dog skin. I don't know. Just trying to make sense of the situation. But he's like, no, he's like, everything's gone. So he's like, uh, uh, I'm going to go grab my my other gun. So he had an AR with him and he went back in. And when he was headed back outside to go um, look for the cat again, the tray was beside the door. It was um, back on, there was a little blue barrel that was right beside the door. So right when he opened it up, um, the tray was right on top of it again. And I remember my husband was like, the tray's back. He was, he was like, just completely shocked. And I was like, what are you talking about? So he showed me and it was just sitting there. There was no cat, just the tray. Mm-hmm. And um, he, my husband, when things uh, freak him out, it, that fight or flight mode thing mm-hmm. kicks in. He is all about fighting. So uh, he was like, I'm going to go find it. I'm going to go out and uh, see what it is. Because um, at that point we were just like, it's, we think it's taunting him like, mm-hmm. oh, I got the cat and I'm bringing the tray back and things like that. Honestly, if I wasn't on that video call with him and he wasn't showing me these things, I probably would have not believed him. But since I was there kind of just along for the ride on the phone call, it was really uh, hard to believe um, everything that was happening that night. Yeah. yeah. So like my wife said, I went back inside to get my AR-15 and I went on to pay, put my um, plate carrier, my body armor on, and I grabbed my um, 
my pistol as well. And I put that on. And during this whole time, there was three loud bangs that happened at the front door. And I went to go check what it was and there was nothing. And there was another um, three loud bangs that happened at the back door. So I ran back to the back door and there was nothing. And at this time I was still trying to put on my boots, my stuff, my equipment. And I heard the bang again, but this time, instead of running through the house, I decided to go around on the outside to catch, to see if this was my initial thought was that, that there was either someone playing the game on me, or if this was something out there, maybe I would cross paths with the outside, right? but nothing. And then the three loud bangs happened again at the backside. So I ran around on the outside in the front and I came around. And then I went back inside. I finally finished getting all my gear. And I think I grabbed the phone at that point. Um, so, yeah, he had the phone with him. And um, uh, he was wearing like a, the plate carrier, which is kind of just a vest. Um, so he had like a little pouch that was kind of sitting up uh, up front on his uh the vest he was wearing, I'm saying vest, sorry. On chest, yeah. Yeah, um, so he put the phone in there, so whatever he was seeing, I could kind of see it too right. with the camera. Yeah, so at that, at that point, um, I had everything on, and I was ready for whatever it was that was being outside, and I had, um, my weapon was loaded. I remember think of, uh, going outside the back door. I remember going back out. Huh? Sorry, um, I, I don't mean to cut my husband off, but I remember when he was doing this, he was going outside. The moment he stepped out the door, there's one, he, he's in a very rural area, like very few neighbors around him, but there was one uh, street light that he has, it's kind of up front. So when he walked out the door, uh, like I said, um, the phone was kind of nestled uh, on his chest. So I remember he stopped and he goes, I see something. He's like, it's right there. Do you see it? And he was pointing towards the lamp or the, the street light. And he was like, there's something kind of just on the outside of the, the light. And he's like, can't you see what I'm, I'm pointing at? And I was, he was getting so frustrated at me because I couldn't see what he was seeing. But uh, that's when he decided to go walk in that direction. Right. Yeah. So this is before all that happened. I remember um, walking outside and I had my rifle and on the chest piece, it was where the phone was. And that's when I came outside and I started looking around. And that's when, like my wife said, off to the far, the back of the house, there's a, a, a street light, but it's one of those crappy um, cheap ones where it, the, the light is orange. You can barely even see shit with that thing. Right. Yeah. So um, right at the edge of the light where the light kind of really stops, there was this really dark figure just sitting there. I'm talking about if you look outside and you see black, mm. this thing was darker than that. Blank, right. And I could see it. Right. And I was telling my wife and I was like, it's right there. I was like, it's watching me. I was like, it's looking at me. Yeah. And I was like, you can't see it. She goes, no, I can't see it. And I was like, no, I, I, I was kind of, it's kind of playing in my mind right now. And I was like, it's right there. It's right there looking at me. And she's like, no, I can't see it. And that's when the smell hit. Mm. It smelled dead. Vomit. Vomit. It was just so overpowering to the point where I was starting to tremble a little bit. I'm starting to tremble a little bit right now. I don't know if you can see it. 
Yeah. I, and I was like, honey, I was like, it stinks. I was like, I don't know what it is. It, 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 it stinks. And I was like, it's um so overpowering. And I started vault like um starting to puke a little bit. And I was like, you know, I I was just like hurling and I was like, I, I can't. I was like, it stinks so bad. And then I remember kind of laying down and I, I don't really remember much, but I remember hearing my wife say, go inside, go inside. And I was like, I can't, I was like, I can't. And then my vision started getting blurry to the point where like, I couldn't focus on anything. And I remember just laying down on the side and I was like, I can't, I can't move. I can't move. And um, my body was just so exhausted. I don't know if anybody's ever like worked out to the point where you start to see bright stars and you're just kind of like dazed out of it. That's how it felt. And I was just laying there and I was like, I can't move. I can't move. And my wife, I remember her screaming, go inside, please go inside. And I was like, I can't, I was like, I can't. I was, I was so close to blacking out. And as I laid there, that's when I heard something chanting. In Navajo, I mean, I can understand Navajo, not fully, but I couldn't make out what it was saying. And as I was laying there, I was like, if this is how I'm going to end, this is how I'm going to die. I was like, I am not going to die without a fight. And I remember willing myself, drawing as much energy as I can to move and it took a tremendous amount of effort to even try to crawl. Mm. And I started crawling towards the back door, to the back door. And then finally, when I passed the threshold, I had to wiggle myself like a worm to the back door. And I used my foot to close the door. And I just laid there, breathing heavily. And I was just laying there trying to recover from this. And there was a, a loud, three loud bangs again at the back door. And I thought it was going to come inside. And there was nothing I could have done to have stopped it if it did. I had no energy. I had every ounce of strength left in me was gone. I just laid there. And, um, oh, Jesus. I... I can't really explain. I wish there was a way I could make people feel how I felt, just the pure exhaustion, the fear that I had in me, but I can't. And there's no real way I can put it in words for someone to understand. I don't remember much from there. Um, do you remember anything from that area? Uh, so kind of backtracking. Um, when he talked about how the smell hit him, uh, just all the stories that uh, I've heard about. You have to you have to take a sip at that moment. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> so just backtracking to my husband um, when he was talking about the smell, it was kind of like uh, all those stories I've heard about skinwalkers just all came flooding back. And uh, my husband can tell you this too. Anytime we've heard of skinwalkers and stuff like that, uh, they always say that it smells like death. Like it smells like rancid, rotten meat. And 
the moment he said that, and then he, I remember he said this, he's like, I don't feel so good. I feel sick. Mm-hmm. I was just like, no, like, I remember in my head, it's like, nope, like, like, I'm so skeptical of these things, but even I didn't want to chance it. And I remember telling him, he's like, just go back inside, just go back inside, leave it alone. And he wouldn't because he always has to go and like, I don't know what it is about him. He, he will not back down. He has to go out and he has to, he has to confront whatever it is. And so I could, I couldn't see him. I was, my, the, the phone was still in his chest, but that entire time I remember him taught, saying like, oh, my head's hurting. I feel sick. I feel like I'm about to throw up. And I remember him telling me like, oh, I feel lightheaded. And he's like, oh, I feel like I'm going to pass out. And I remember when he was saying all of that, I was like, just go back inside, go back inside. And I felt so helpless. Like, like my husband said, um, he was back in Arizona. I was in Japan and just watching this whole scene play out. I was, he says he can't remember this, but I remember I was yelling at him just to get back inside because it was freaking me out so much. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, I remember watching uh, the phone go down as he was um, laying on the ground. And I was like, I was like, just crawl into the door, crawl into the door. And every time I talk about this with him, he's like, I don't even remember you saying that. He's like, I can't remember you saying that. And I was like, I was yelling at you to just get back inside. I remember he started crawling. I could see the light from the house when he was getting to the door and stuff like that. And, um, he was probably when he finally got back inside and he closed the door he was probably laying there for about five minutes and i was like trying to talk to him like he said i think he was just like exhausted like just spent and uh, he wasn't talking to me so i was on the phone with him that entire time until he was finally like finally um waking up or coming to and uh he started like it was kind of interesting watching, oh, not watching him, but hearing him on the phone as he was finally like, it was almost like he was um, in a trance in mm-hmm. a sense, mm-hmm. like like that energy or whatever was attacking him was like suddenly just wearing off. And it was like he was waking up and finally coming, coming to in a sense. And then finally he was answering me back and stuff like that. And he was just like, I don't know what happened. He was like, I just felt like, like so sick, like. I can't, and that's when he was like, I can't explain how it felt. And he was like, uh, and that's when he was asking me, like, what happened? Like, and I was trying to explain, like, my side of the story of like yelling at him and stuff like that. But um, after he came to for a while, he was still like, it made him mad. It made him mad that whatever was out there had that kind of effect on him. So he told me, and we're calling him stupid for this, that he was going to go back out there again and um i don't know if you want to pick up where he did where i left off from there so like my wife said um after finally being able to gain so much sort of my consciousness back like my strength was starting to come back and i was asking my wife what happened you know what what was going on and she 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 basically tried to summarize what was going on and Thinking about what happened and how this thing was able to do something like that to me and not have the balls to do it to me face to face really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
sorry if I'm in the cusp, but I was like, this motherfucker is not going to have that last laugh on me. If I'm going to die, I'm going to at least do whatever I can to hurt this thing. And it's going to know that it can be hurt. Mm -hmm. And it's going to know that people will fight back. And my, I remember my wife was like, you're stupid. You don't, don't go out there. Don't do this. I was like, nope. Mm -mm. And I was like, my mind's already made up. I remember grabbing my rifle and I was staying at the door and I was like, <laughs> hyping myself up. And I, like I said, you know, I thought this was going to be like my final moments, my right. little blaze of glory. But I remember opening the door and majority of my instincts from my military training kicked in at that point. I opened the door, everything zoned out. I didn't even, wasn't even caring to listen to my wife. My focus was finding whatever this was right. and I was gonna put as many rounds as I could in it. I drew up my rifle, I opened the door and I ran out. I had my rifle up and I remember exactly where it was sitting at. And I went straight running for it and there was nothing. Mind you, at this point, when I did call him stupid for going out a second time, he hung up on me. So yeah. I was freaked out. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is right. I did hang up on her because she was trying to do everything she could to get me from not going out. inside and he would not listen to me. So he hung up on me and he said, I'll call you back. And I remember waiting on the phone for him to call me back because I was I, I could not fathom why he would do it all over again. Uh, I ran back outside and I ran where I remember seeing this thing was. I ran straight up to it, full sprint. And I was dead set on finding this thing. Wasn't there. I went running around the house, running around the edge of the property and nothing. I remember walking back and it was just quiet, peaceful, as if the last few minutes never happened. Right. And that's when my neighbor came out and saw me standing there dressed like I was about to go into battle. And he was like, hey, what are you doing? I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to mention anything because he probably thought I wasn't the other. A weirdo. But I asked him, I was like, oh, you know, just walking around. just." To... And then he's like, did you feel something? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I was sleeping, but I just randomly woke up not too long ago. He's like, "I there was a strong, negative, bad energy and I woke up and this side of the family they're my relatives because mostly everyone where I'm from in my small town is related to me in some way shape or form through our clan systems or through blood so this side of the family they're really traditional right we're up into all traditional teachings a lot of their families still go to these ceremonies and he said that he felt something really bad, negative, dark, and it woke him up. So I proceed to tell him my story. 
about what's going on. And he just didn't say anything, didn't flinch, just listened. And when I was done on the Navajo reservation, um, you hear a lot of people make fun of people that have these experiences because you get some people that make it up live. Right. Uh, and in our in our native tongue, we'd say, oh, which means, oh, he said, she said, like, oh, it's just make believe. Like rumors and gossiping. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I was expecting a response from him like that, but he just looked at me and he's like, that's a skinwalker. And I was like, what? That's a skinwalker. And he was like, whatever it was, wanted you, but it couldn't. It failed. And he was like, my family could do a um, protection way ceremony. Mm. And like, like my wife and I said before, early on, it's conflicting being Christian and being traditional. Right. I didn't take the ceremony. Maybe I should have. I wanted to. But my belief in Christ and believing that he's the one that kind of could protect me, I didn't. And after that whole thing, um, I went back inside and I called my wife <laughs> to let her know that I was alive. <laughs> That's when he ended up telling me what his neighbor had said. And um, we talked about it too, like the whole um, the conflict and stuff about doing a ceremony and things like that. And um, like, he, like he said, his dad is a, a pastor and stuff like that. And our, our best protection at that time was like, we'll just pray about it. Yeah. So my wife and I, that night, we prayed for the house, prayed that everything would be all right, that I'd be protected. And I slept like a baby that night, woke up the next day and went to work. But that's not even the end of the story, because uh, three days later, his brother came to visit him. And that was a whole nother. That's a whole nother story. But the morning that I woke up, I went outside to go go to work. And. I don't know if you remember seeing my little crampy drawing I did on TikTok. Yeah. What was on my hood? That was on my hood. But drooin and blood, dry blood. Yeah, you know like when you see blood and it starts to crust up and flake. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there was a feather on there. I looked at that and I was like, whatever. I just wiped it off, took the feather, burnt that thing, went on my day. Three days later, I don't know if you want to hear this part of the story as please, well. Please, no. This is... Uh, <laughs> so two days later, my brother was... He's a bit of a drifter, and sad to say he's um, an addict. Was with my family and my mom and dad, who were living on the Apache Reservation in Civic, Arizona. My best friend from high school, I won't name his name, um, was living there as well. He was on his way home back to, he lives where my wife lives. And it's only 30 minutes from where I live at the time in Den Hotel. So my oldest brother, not the oldest, but the third oldest wanted to come home. So he jumped in with him, decided to come home. But he ended up getting arrested because he had a warrant for his arrest. So he got tossed in and Holbrook, Arizona. So my friend made his way by himself to where I was staying at. He was gonna drop off his clothes and we were outside, uh, we came inside 
and we were just talking and um, chatting it up. And we went outside and my brother's clothes were in the back, the back of the truck, not inside, but in the back, the tailgate area. My brother's clothes were all over the place. As if someone, you remember, I don't know if, if most of your listeners on podcasts will know anything about Jeepers Creepers. It's amazing. It's a, Jeepers Creepers, it's an old you film. You said that, the movie. Yeah, 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 the movie, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember when um, he goes and they're like, there was someone outside sniffing your clothes right? and he was enjoying it too. Remember his clothes were all over the place. I that never actually saw that movie, but okay. I'm sure so, that I'm sure that some of my listeners have. Yeah. Yeah. So my brother's clothes were all over the place, as if someone was sifting through it looking for something, throwing his stuff everywhere. Uh-huh. And my friend and I went outside and we're like, "What the hell?" You know. So we started gathering up everything, and so, so pretty much when they were gathering everything up, they noticed that there were some articles of clothing that were still missing. Yeah. So this entire time, him and uh, his friend had walked inside was probably about five minutes or less. And then when uh, they decided to come out and uh, get his brother's clothes from the vehicle. But um, after they had collected everything, they went back inside. And I believe when you guys came back out um, on the vehicle were the uh, two articles of clothing. One was um, one part of a glove and then another part, um, a pair of a... Uh, socks that were uh, left back um, on the vehicle. So I don't, we talked about it and we were thinking like maybe uh, whatever had visited him previously was probably trying to look for his clothes and realized it was his brother's mm-hmm. and just ended up bringing it back because it wasn't good to him. Yeah. Or, or just letting him know that he hadn't finished with you yet. That could be, yes. We had a lot of people who, um, kind of said the same thing when they were listening to our stories. Yeah. But uh, there was actually a little bit more we found out about um, the drawing that was left on our, the hood of our car. So oh, yeah. uh, this was after, maybe like a week after we, we posted our first um, TikTok video with my husband's Skinwalker experience. So I was talking to my brother-in-law and he comes from a long line of uh, medicine, men. medicine men. So a lot of um, the family members on his side, they uh, work with um, uh, like drawings or right. um, how would you say, like the meanings of them and symbols. such. The symbology. Yes. Symbols, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So they do a lot of uh, their um, medicine with that. So he took the picture of what my husband drew and he showed it to his dad. And his dad told him that he had seen that symbol before. So his story was that um, my brother-in-law's grandmother had a cattle ranch um, maybe 20 years, 20, 30 years ago, uh, at least before my brother-in-law's time uh, before he was born. And uh, the grandmother was having a lot of um, cattle getting mutilated, a lot of mysterious deaths or like um, some of the cattle were just like completely like cut up basically. And the dad um, was working with his mom at the time, the grandmother, and they ended up coming across one of the, the windmills there. So uh, it's kind of just like this big water trough. 
And he said that symbol was drawn there in blood as well. And they don't really know like the true meaning of what it is, but they said that the intent behind that symbol is just like very evil, mm. very like malicious. Mm. So when um, me and my husband were talking about it, we were like, maybe it's taunting us or telling us that it's not finished with him. Yeah. I, I would say that, that that would be my gut intuitive feeling and blood magic yeah. is never generally done with good intent. Oh, that's really interesting. Do you have any, I mean, and I, I could see when you first started talking, Isaiah, I could see how it, it, when you started talking about the smell, I could see the physical reaction hit you, how it still affects you to this day. Uh, I can, yeah, how horrific that must have been for you. Do you have any idea why you might have been singled out? Um, so there's actually a pretty interesting story about this. And I don't know if you have the time for me to tell you about abs- it. absolutely do, yeah. Okay. So like I said, my grandmother, my dad's mom, was the first Christian in her side of the family. Right. And she was what we would call a prayer warrior. So she would pray and she's had one of the gifts of the spirit of being a prayer warrior. Mm. And not a lot of not a lot of people liked her for that reason. Um what I was, what she was told was that the devil could not specifically hurt my grandmother. So he was going to hurt her children to get to her. So my dad had an experience where he had a random cut in his stomach and was being chased by a black figure. We lived in Phoenix, Arizona. I was but a baby, not even a year old. My mom told me how he came home one day and was just freaking out, like almost schizophrenic. Looking outside, closing the doors, to close all the windows, lock all doors. I was saying, they're coming to get me. They're coming to get me. My dad was a huge alcoholic. And whenever my mom was trying to feed me, my, you know, my infant male, my dad was like, don't feed him that. They poisoned it. They poisoned it. You know, he's like, they're, they're, they're after me. They're going to get me. So my mom, we didn't have a vehicle. Had one of her friends, or I think a relative of hers, drive us all the way back to the reservation. It's a six hour drive in the dead of the night. And my dad was like, it's following us. He's running after us. He, he's the only one that could see this. He ended up at the church in Den Hozo. It's an Assemblies of God Church, Trinity Assembly of God. The pastor there, who is my grandfather, not really my blood grandfather, but clan-wise, my grandpa. Right. And they were praying for my dad. And they took him to the hospital not too long ago, not too long after that. And the cop, um, the cops, Jesus, the doctors said that they did an x-ray on my dad. And there was a cut in his stomach that was bleeding. And they don't know how this cut happened. Internally. Internally, yes. Oh. And he was bleeding. And they couldn't stop it. They, they said they couldn't do anything about it. So my mom was praying. And the entire time she was praying for my dad, she didn't eat, she didn't sleep, she didn't drink no water. But my dad would wake up every now and then from his 
like from laying down from his sleeping and would point to my mom and say, he's standing right there. And he's looking at me laughing, mocking. And my mom would go over there with the Bible and she'll start praying. And he's like, he's over here now. He's over here. He's over here. And I don't remember exactly how I remember my mom. Sorry. And she said, finally, Oh, man, that was really anticlimactic, but I, forget, I can't really remember what she said. But finally, my dad snapped to and said that he's right there. And my mom was like, in the name of Jesus, you devil, you get out of here. And she said all this thing. And my mom said there was like a rush of wind in a closed building, a rush of wind and the window up on top open and something went out. They both felt it like a, a rushing wind. Of something leaving right and my dad was like he's gone you know he he left and he's like close the window so my mom closed the window the doctors came back to um i guess do an evaluation on my dad and the big cut that was in his stomach where he was bleeding was healed just a fine line scar inside of his stomach that's very interesting and he was discharged that day and my dad became a Christian and, you know, he still meddled with alcohol and whatnot, never really fully um, became subversed in Christianity. It wasn't until years later that my dad became a pastor. And it's kind of ironic, you know, my dad being a pastor. And before my grandmother passed away, my grandfather, who was the pastor of the church, was telling my grandmother He's like, your son is going to be a great man of God, but you won't see that you won't live to see it. Whatever it was, was trying to stop it from happening by targeting you. But they couldn't do it. They failed to get you. So they went after your kids. And they knew that, I guess, my dad wasn't becoming a great man of God. So they tried to hit him. That failed. And before my grandfather passed away, he looked at my dad and was like, they're not done. Whatever it was that couldn't get your grand, your mom tried to get you, but couldn't get you. And looked at my dad and said, they're going to get your kids. Your kids are next. Anything they can do to get you to break your faith with God. And your kids are next. So in my, in my way, when people say, do you know why you were specifically targeted? I personally believe whatever it was, was trying to hurt me to hurt my dad. Right. So you feel it was like an intergenerational curse that had been placed mm. on your family. And, yeah. and that's not the first time I've heard about something like that, actually. And so the interesting now, part about it is if you go into my TikTok, there's a skinwalker story about how they try to get my grandmother. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. There's yeah. a story on that. My, my wife's the one that told that story. It's called Mod Story, Mod Skinwalker so Story. We can talk about it here too. Yeah. But it's, I, I personally really like this story. It's one of my favorites. Um, if you want, I can tell that story yes, too. Yes, please, please. I, I will tell it. <laughs> okay. Well, my wife wants to tell it. Oh, you two are so cute. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, like I said, it's one of my favorite stories. Like I remember when I, he first told me the story, it, it literally gave me goosebumps. Um, so his grandma, Mod. Um, like he, my husband was saying, was a, a really 
really powerful Christian, really a big woman of God, a woman of faith. And um, she was going to a revival uh, that was happening on the reservation. And usually it's kind of a big thing, like um, during the summer, like a lot of people will come and it's just a big tent outside. And, you know, you'll have somebody giving a message and, you know, people are invited up to give testimonials and stuff. So my husband's grandma was coming into the revival tent and somebody had recognized her as she was being, um, she was in a wheelchair at the time as she was being brought in and she stood up and she was like, is that Ma Todichitni? And his grandma was looking around and she saw this lady and she's like, yes, it's, it's me. And this lady, um, she starts uh, just talking and she was like, I was sent after you. And I was sent to kill you. I was sent to kill you. So she ends up going into this big story about um, how uh, it's actually very interesting because we talked about this later. This is the same house that my husband had his skinwalker story in. Very same house. And uh, like I said, that streetlight that we were talking about where he saw the, the black figure at, um, it's very easy to spot where his grandma's house is at because of that streetlight. So this lady who was talking to um, his grandma Maud told, told her that um, one night when they were sent after her, they were using that streetlight as a way to, to locate where the house was at. So we were always told that skinwalkers work in pairs. So it was this woman and another skinwalker. They were sent after his grandma. And they said, as they were coming up into Denahoto, they saw the streetlight in the, dis the, in the distance. So, so they just started running towards it. And they said, as soon as they got close enough to uh, where the light was at, it disappeared. So they would like look around and they would see the streetlight in a different location. So they would run after it again. But they said that, and the woman was saying that entire night, those two skinwalkers were unable to get to the house. And before the sun um, ended up rising, they, they left that night. So they ended up coming back uh, the next night. And this time they were able to get to the house. So as the two skinwalkers were walking up to the, to the front door, um, the lady said that they saw this extremely handsome, like beautiful man, like just dressed in white. Like I think they described him as like one of the most beautiful people they had ever seen. And as they were walking up to the house, the man spoke to them and he said that they were, they were not going to enter that home. And uh, since he was at the front door, both of them decided to walk to the back of the house and use the back door. But they said as they got to the back door again, this man popped up again. And this time he had uh, a sort of flame. So he ended up drawing it out and he told them that they were not going to enter this home. And um, I believe they tried multiple ways, like windows and stuff, but that entire night they were never able to get into that house. And I don't know how that woman came to become saved or how she ended up turning away from that life as a skinwalker, but um, she ended up giving that testimony to his grandma. And uh, to me, when, I, when, when he was telling me his story of his skinwalker experience, I think it's because that home was protected like that, like it was prayed for and there is protection um, from his family 
from people who love him, friends and stuff like that, that that's why it wasn't able to come into the home to, I don't know, to do whatever it was trying to do to my husband. That's pretty cool. That's really, the, the, that woman recognized your grandmother and, and told her what was going on. Wow, that must have been an amazing feeling for your grandmother, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, my aunt's actually the one that told me that story because it was my aunt, my aunt Jeanette, was the one that was pushing my grandmother into the tent, the revival tent. Oh, wow. So it was my aunt. And the house that all this took place in was my grandfather's. He was a World War II veteran. and um, He also has his own story of a skinwalker. Yeah. Yeah, kudos to him because if you hear the story too you'll be like man that guy was a huge badass but yeah. <laughs> totally off, off subject but yeah he has his own um but yeah um all this took place and my aunt lives in that house now and they don't experience anything there um from what i'm told i go back periodically to that home but i'm not afraid to walk around outside Right. I walk around outside still, you know, um, because a lot of people ask me, they're like, are you afraid to go out at night? Are you afraid to do this at night? And I always tell them, I'm like, no, my mom's a pastor. My dad's a pastor. They got a direct line to Jesus, you know, <laughs> and they pray. They pray to him, look after me. And I'm not the best of Christians by any means. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody, but I will pray, you know, when I'm walking around, I'll say, you know, hey, God, it's little old me here. Um, just ask for your protection to put your blood upon me. And whatever it is that want to cause evil or harm on me, may they fail. I'm in your hands. If whatever should happen, happens, it's your will. Whatever you want, there's nothing I can do against it. The thing I have with this is he provokes things. He goes after things. And he is always talking about how he has all these experiences. And I, he goes actively looking for stuff like that sometimes. Yeah. It's aggravating because I tell him to just leave it alone. But he, I don't know why he has this, uh, this need to... I don't know what it is exactly with him, but he always has to to provoke or challenge things. But um, warrior, it's the warrior is what it is. <laughs> but we do uh, always get that question about why we talk about uh, why we talk about skinwalkers because it's very taboo in our culture. Yeah. Or why we even share paranormal experiences if we believe in God and stuff like that. But. I always, me and my husband are, are very different in our way of thinking. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a little nerdy, but the quote I always use uh, to kind of explain why we talk about it is from Harry Potter, where uh, Dumbledore is talking about Voldemort. And he says, uh, fear of the name increases fear of the thing itself. So for me and my husband talking about skinwalkers, the way they say talking about skinwalkers um, 
they're they're able to know right. you're talking about them right. or it gives them strength it gives them power i think fearing the name and fearing talking about it gives them more power than anything so the way me and my husband feel about it is you know if we're going to make this less taboo in a sense you know we don't want to give them any more control over our lives by fearing them especially with a name yeah, absolutely. While I'm not part of your culture, I do come from a spiritual perspective. I'm not religious, but I am. I do believe in a higher power, and that attitude is a brilliant attitude to have. Fear, you cannot live in fear. That's no life. And fear, living in fear is just giving them your power. <laughs> you know, it's just giving them your power. That's, so that's a really great attitude. And I can see... I can see for you both how it, it must be such a clash of your traditional beliefs and, and your personal beliefs. But there's no reason why there can't be a blending of the both to a degree. It's what you're mm. comfortable with, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, you know, that's really amazing. So how long ago did this happen? for you 2017 oh so it's fairly recent and and you've had nothing since mm. as far as skinwalkers he hasn't had any more experiences no. and then we have had a few things here and there as far as like we don't really know ghosts or spirits i don't know whatever you want to call it he yeah. has had some some things happen since then with that now you know that doesn't surprise me at all and and the feeling that i get as a sensitive is that part of the reason you're targeted is because you have abilities yourself probably mm. yeah mm. and it's a familial thing it's kind of interesting because um actually there was actually one thing i did want to mention with the skinwalker story too so uh my husband really never fully explained how the black figure looked do you remember uh, so he would always say, oh, it just looked like a big wolf or a black wolf or something like that. And I was like, I just kind of left it at that. He never told me before that it was like smoky or mm. kind of like see-through and stuff like that. A week after we ended up posting um, the Skinwalker video, his Skinwalker video, I ended up having a, a dream, which was really like a, out of norms for me. It was kind of like them. I was sleeping by myself in a, our bedroom. And my husband is out here in the living room. And uh, I had a, a dream that we were back home. I know it was on the reservation. I'm not quite sure where, but we were in our truck. And for whatever reason, there was an issue with um, our truck. And we were pulling like a trailer. So we stopped and we pulled off on the side of the road. And I was standing in front of the headlights, just kind of looking around as he was checking out what was wrong with the vehicle. And when I turned around, just in my peripheral vision, I saw the silhouette of, like, I, I won't say like a wolf, but it was like a large dog, like black. But I could see the light from the headlights streaming through it. So it wasn't completely solid. It was like, what I explained it as, it was like a smoke almost. Like a shadow. Pretty much. And... Um, I was trying so hard to yell for my husband because it was watching him. It was only watching him. And I was trying so hard to yell for my husband. And um, I, I felt like I wasn't making any noise or any sounds, but it ended up turning and facing me. So it walked up to me 
And this thing is huge. I remember because uh, we have a, a truck and just the shoulders were like the almost level with the hood of the vehicle. Oh. And when it came up to me, it's head. I remember it stopped like right in front of me and I was like, paralyzed. Like I couldn't move, couldn't scream or anything. And uh, not long after that, I ended up waking up and it took me like a moment to kind of get my bearings right. So I ended up coming straight back out here. And I asked my husband, I was like, could you explain what you saw again that night? So that's when he started like going more in depth of his description of the, what he had seen that night. And I was actually, no, actually I didn't ask you yet. I ended up telling him, I was like, I was like, this thing you saw that night, I was like, was it like this big? Was it like see-through? Like you could see like light through and almost like kind of like a, like a opaque and stuff like that. Like I was explaining it to him and he's like, yeah, 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 that's it. I like before then we'd never really gone into depth with the description of how it looked, but it was weird that what I had seen in my dream was what he had experienced or what he had seen uh, with that skinwalker experience. It was, yeah, that was strange for us, I guess. My wife isn't one to really have really bad dreams and really get scared of them. Right. But she came out and she was scared. And I could, I could just see it in her. And I was like, what happened? I was like, did you have a dream? Bad dream? She goes, yeah. And I was like, you're such a weenie is what I said to her. <laughs> and then that's when she started to um, describe what I saw that night. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's literally what I saw. And she's like, I just, and she told me the dream. And I was like, this thing's not done. It's Yeah. A lot of people ask us um, if we have experiences here since we live in Oklahoma away from the Navajo Nation. But what we were always, I guess what I was told about skinwalkers is usually they're tied to, to the, area. the Four Corners yeah. area. Mm-hmm. So we always talk about like, oh, what if when we go back, you know, the things start back up again. Is it because we're off the reservation? These experiences aren't happening anymore. So it's kind of sucks because all our families back in Arizona uh, on the reservation. So, you know, it's unfortunate that it's kind of one of those things that's like, oh gosh, what's going to happen next? That's, that must be a bit anxiety creating for you, Mio. Not so much for you because, as I, because you're just, you know, brave it out. But for you, <laughs> it, it must create anxiety, yeah. It definitely does. And I always tell him not to provoke things and just to leave it alone, but he never does. Um, It was kind of, we always have talks about this stuff too. And uh, I've had like weird like dreams that um, have, I don't know, like I've had people try to interpret my dreams and stuff like that. It's kind of one of the main things that is for me. But uh, my sister was talking with my grandma uh, after we had posted the skinwalker story kind of, I was expecting to be reprimanded, to be honest, because uh, like I said, it's a taboo subject and we don't talk about this very often. But um, my grandma was telling uh, telling my sister that um, we do come from a long line of uh, hand tremblers, the medicine woman. So she was saying, even though I didn't learn that, we still have that uh, on our, our female side. So... After my sister had mentioned that, I was like, maybe that's why I ended up having that dream where I could describe 
what my husband had seen. Can you please, sorry to interrupt, can you please explain what a hand trembler is? Like like in New Zealand, in the Māori culture, I come from a long line of matakite. That's people who have sight, people who are spiritual sensitive and can see spirit and stuff like that. So for, unfortunately, because I was raised in a Christian household, I don't have like a deeper understanding of it. My parents didn't really teach um, anything as far as like what medicine men and medicine women do. Right. But my understanding of hand tremblers, the way my dad explained it to me, just in basic terms, was it's a, almost like a crystal gazer. But instead of like having like a crystal in front of you, usually they work with, um, they can work with like ashes or bones. Ah, so it's like a form of divination. Yes. Yeah, so what he told me they would do is they would, lay a hand over the person they're doing the ceremony for. And as they're doing that, they'll do like uh, whatever they need to. And they'll get like um, the messages, I guess, through the ashes or through the the bones or whatever they're working with. So that actually is like more, they're feeling energy. So that's uh, like a clear there's a term for that, clear sentience. That's a a better way because my grandma, when she was, learning how to do this or get this ability from uh, my great or my, yeah, my great grandmother, uh, she would explain the feeling she would get was um, she, it was too much for her. Mm -hmm. She she did felt like she wasn't in control of that Mm -hmm. and it scared her, which is why she told uh, my great grandmother, she didn't want to do it, which is why um, my great grandmother became the last person in my female line to to be a hand trembler. Right. Okay. So that puts a whole different spin on it for me, like from a non-cultural perspective. I would say that you probably have that ability and it's a spiritual gift. Please don't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) But but you know what? There's a lot of, I get a lot of people in my group who have spiritual abilities, but they scare them. And generally the thing that scares them is that they feel that they will have no control if they allow themselves to acknowledge this gift. But you, you come from a Christian perspective and so I would say to you, would your God not give you gifts to help other people? The, the, he provides, these are gifts that he's given you. And from that perspective, gifts are given, like these sort of gifts are not given for us. Our abilities are given to help others, to help heal them, to help counsel them, because doesn't God work through us? I guess where that uh, conflict arises is because uh, I was always taught like that's a form of witchcraft. Yes, is what I guess what I was always raised yeah. to believe. So going into that or like wanting to look in more in depth of what a hand trembler does or medicine man, medicine woman do, it's I've always been like like that's not something we do because that's a form of witchcraft. Oh, yeah. And I and I understand that perspective because I I have a sister who's a minister and and that was what she was always taught but she also has these gifts. And it's not until she got into her late 60s that she finally accepted that this is who she is and that it was actually a gift and not 
you know, because she's as, as religious. She, her and her husband are ministers. They've been ministers for like 50, 50 years. But I look at it as it's an inherent natural ability that everybody has. Like you get, Mia, you get quite strong gut feelings about things. I he would listen. Yeah, and that's, that's, you know, you can call that intuition, you can call that gut feeling, but it's part and parcel of that gift. And that's not evil. That's not, and I understand I'm not trying to downplay your religious beliefs at all. Please, uh, please don't get that idea. No. But I hear this so many times. And in fact, in my own personal life, it took me years to overcome the religious guilt that I was going to go to hell because I had these abilities and I had to be evil. <laughs> you know, no, <laughs> I'm not evil. <laughs> yeah, that's where that conflict comes from because I have an, a curiosity of uh, what they did or what they do. But um, what I was always told was... Uh, for my brother-in-law, because like I said, he was, this is the one that explained the, uh, the drawing, the symbol. So his, um, his male side, they are what they call roadmen. That's the one that uh, interpret the symbols and stuff like that. So what I was always told was, uh, you, if you have somebody who is targeting you like skinwalker or anything like that, um, you would go to see a hand trembler first because, if it's some kind of hex or I guess like that's the best way I can explain it, like a hex or um, it's some kind of like a, I guess almost like voodoo yeah, where they use like personal so. items, right. things kind of. Uh, so if they're causing ailments and stuff like that for you, they're able to find the location of um, where that's at, like the bundles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they can give you directions on where to find it so you can get rid of it. So, so, but, uh, Oh, sorry. So what they, they do is they track the energy back. Pretty much. Uh, another thing that I was told they do because uh, one of my good friends from high school, her grandmother was a hand trembler as well. So people would come to her if uh, they were having pains and stuff like that. And from what I was told um, is that uh, when she's practicing, um, she'll find bone fragments. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when they talk about skinwalkers um, causing ailments or targeting people, they use bone fragments and they say like they will put it into like this, it's like the, like uh, into the body basically. Right. So like if somebody is having like headaches, maybe they'll have something like in the base of the head or like shoulder pain, like they'll find bone fragments there, remove it and stuff like that. Right. And then, uh, with my brother-in-law, with the roadmen, uh, usually they're the ones that perform ceremonies, like the NMEOA ceremony or protection ceremonies. So after you are finished seeing the like the hand trembler, usually you can go to get one of the ceremonies done from the medicine man. And yeah, that's really- so I guess there's that the medicine woman and then the medicine man that you you would see. Right, that's really interesting. So how Overall, how has this left you feeling, both of you? How do you feel now about, about the, the whole situation? <clears throat> um, I... Talking about it brings back the experience of it. Mm. As far as letting it um, control me and being afraid of things, no. I'm still going to be the same person that's going to be walking around 3 o'clock in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. 
Good for you. Not fake. It's not scared. Yeah. Um, I, I'm like I tell most people, you know, I'm not brave. I'm not some person who's claims to be, you know, unafraid by anything. I do feel fear, but I don't let that fear Stop you. control me. Right. I push that aside. And when I get scared, I get angry. Mm-hmm. When I get mad, it's like I have no control over it. Right. And that's the part that takes over. And I want to confront whatever it is. And it's kind of dumb because it's like spiritual. <laughs> it's like, what, what am I going to do? You know, it, but that's just me. But um, I don't know. about. I will life. say going on with this, he has tried to kick a shadow figure before. Yeah. Uh, so you've seen sh- you seen shadow figures as well. Yes. So were, my wife and I first started dating, and I was sleeping in her room with her. And I like to sleep towards the door because if there was something that was to come into the house, right. they got to deal with me first before they get to my wife. Oh, that's sweet. So <laughs> I would sleep, and my feet was off the edge of the bed, and I woke up randomly, and. At the foot of the bed, right by my foot, there was this tall black figure just watching us. And the moment I woke up and looked at it and realized what it was, I threw my foot to kick it. And I I tried to get up and try to, like, ready for a fight, you know? Yeah. And my wife woke up. I woke up and she was mid-kick. And I looked at him and I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, did you see it? Did you see it? And I was like, no, what are you doing? Like, what are you kicking for? And he was like, there was a shadow figure watching us at the edge of the bed. And I didn't see it, but him, yeah, I literally woke up when he was mid-kick. That was a strange thing to wake up to. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. And it just disappeared. And you never see yeah. it? Did you ever see it again? No. It was just a one-off thing. We really don't have, like, too many stories of like apparitions or shadow people too much but um for me i guess what i usually hear it's kind of interesting how you talk about it it's feelings feelings or um sounds mm-hmm. and we talk about this is getting so off topic from the skinwalker but it talk- hey it doesn't matter i'm happy to go wherever you want to go honestly this is so interesting so when my husband was in the Marine Corps, he didn't, oh, first of all, let me just mention, he didn't believe me. And he's the one that always has the weird experiences. <laughs> so we had just gotten married and I moved out to North Carolina and this was our first home living together. And he was constantly working. He was either gone for a week, two weeks, a month, things like that, because he was getting ready for a deployment. So it was I always tell people it was like I was living alone. Mm. But um, at that time, we had one cat. We had probably only been living there for maybe a month or two. Yeah. Uh, we were. I was sleeping in the dining room because we were poor. We didn't yeah. have that much furniture. <laughs> and I remember uh, my cat was walking into the living room. And from where I was at on our mattress in the dining room, I could clearly see him. And he is a very chill cat, doesn't react to anything dogs like didn't face him things like that he's very chill 
And that was the first time I had ever seen him react uh, to where his hair was standing up and he was staring at something on the, 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 the stairs. And I feel so bad at this. So I pulled him back and I was just sitting in the dining room with him. My husband was supposed to be coming back the next day. I thought maybe I had just imagined the entire situation. So I put my cat back in the living room. And first thing he did was hair was standing back up again. He was looking at the same place on the staircase. So I ended up packing up my cat and we stayed at his work until he came back the next morning. But since then, it was kind of like a, a feeling in that house that something at the top of the landing right. was there. And I would tell my husband this often because when we finally moved upstairs to the master bedroom, uh, I would leave a crack in the door because my, so my cats can go in and out. So we ended up having two cats at that time. And um, uh, there was always a feeling that something was watching me through that little crack in the door. And it was just a super unsettling feeling. Mm -hmm. But um, it wasn't until... Uh, uh, before, we, before we get to that, um, oh, we had okay. So my wife and I, uh, we used to argue a lot. We had an argument, and so uh, we had an argument, and I went to go sleep in the spare room, which is right across from the main room. So my wife was sleeping in there, and there was no furniture in the spare room, just carpet. So I went in there. He was sleeping on the floor. I was sleeping on the floor, and I had the blanket, and I was laying there. And I was so mad at my wife. And, <laughs> It was in the middle of the night. The door opened and I was just laying there and I was like, I was like, man, what she want? You know, I was like, I'm not going to talk to her. Whatever. I'll just ignore her. So I remember just laying there facing towards the wall. And he covered his head. Yeah, I covered my head because I didn't want to talk to her. But something walked. You can hear it. And you can just feel the presence of it. And it just stopped. And it was just standing there. And I was laying there. Having, half expecting my wife to be like, hun, 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 you know, like nagging me until I finally get a response from me. But nothing. This thing just stood there. And they just turned around and walked back out. Wow. The so, next morning. Actually, no, he didn't mention this thing for a while. The next morning, oh, yeah. he was so mad, so he didn't bring it up. It wasn't until... We actually had moved out of that house. Oh yeah. He was like, he was like, remember that night you we were having an argument? And I slept in the spare spare room. And I was like, yeah, like, mm, of course. So he was like, did you come to check on me? And I was like, no. I was like, I never even bothered you that night. Like, I didn't want to talk to you either. And he was like, that's when he told me about the whole thing about um, he heard somebody open the door, walk towards him, stand right there, and then felt them leave. And he's like, are you sure? Like, you weren't trying to talk to me, trying to bother me? And I was like, no, like, it wasn't me. But uh, after, because he, that whole time he thought it was me. And we had never spoken about it until after we left that house. And uh, the time he finally believed me was, uh, we had another argument. Uh, I went to go stay with um, a friend of mine about an hour away. So the cats were with him and he was home alone. And he was getting ready to go out to the field again for about a week. So um, the amount of gear he had probably equates to like 80 pounds of gear. Wow. And he had it at the top of the stairs. And this, so this is like the landing and the stairs go down. So we had a wall right here and it was all uh, pushed up against the wall. 
So he went to go take a nap before his, his friend came over to um, take him to uh, their work site. And maybe like 30 minutes after he had fallen asleep, everything came tumbling down. And his first instinct was maybe it was the cats. So he went looking for the cats and they were hiding behind the water heater. But like when we were talking about it after that had happened, it was like, how would they have moved yeah. 80 pounds worth of gear down the stairs? And uh, that was funny, like his inkling, like, oh, maybe my wife wasn't right about something being here because there was like weird, weird things, just the feeling and stuff like that. And that house was just really, um, it started turning oppressive almost. Mm. And uh, I used to tell him that I think um, whatever was there was more attached to him than it was me because I didn't really feel like that oppressive energy or anything like that. But he started having more of a, a mental change, which was um, some like the reason why we had so many arguments. Right. Sounds like he was influencing your behavior. That's very interesting. Yeah. So another thing my wife failed to mention was the first thing that rolled down was the gear. There was also my sea bag that had more gear. After the bag rolled, after the my gear went rolling down the stairs, I went looking for the cats because my initial thought was maybe it was the cats. Right. But the cats were downstairs with me, hiding behind our water heater Which in a secluded like, area. Yeah. And I was like, and why are they? freaked out yeah they were scared and i was like why are they hiding so this time it was nighttime it was night and i went walking back to the front and that's when my seat bag comes flying down the stairs boom hits the landing i called my friend i was like bro pick me up i am not staying in this bitch and then i came back 30 minutes later failed to mention any of this and i stayed in the house alone so that was also <laughs> <laughs> so another thing too that uh was interesting about that house was because his uncle or uh was always he always had cats around him and he would always say that cats can see spirits oh, or yeah. sense spirits and they ward off evil yes i absolutely do so, so we had two cats at that time like i was saying and um all the time they would lay on top of me one would lay on my legs and the other would just lay on my chest and that's how they slept almost every single night. So I would wake up in the morning and those two would be on top of me. It wasn't until we moved away from that house and I moved back to Arizona when he deployed. Um, I was living with my fam my family and uh, my cats, they never slept on top of me again. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting because I told them that too. And I was like, I think they knew something was there because after I got back home to Arizona, like they would never sleep on top of me anymore. So yeah, cats are very sensitive to They're very protectors. I had a, a similar sort of incident here in my house. I'm I'm very sensitive to energies. And I was sitting here in my office um, working on podcast, actually, and it got really, really cold, really cold. And I thought, oh, it's just getting cold because it was winter. So, you know, I just assumed it was the cold. And my cat that was in here with me walked out to my kitchen, just threw the door over there and came back and I, I didn't think anything of it and it just got icy cold the cold that just goes right through you and the cat went back out to the kitchen again and it started hissing now I've had this cat for five or six years I've never once heard it hissed, hiss 
Mm-hmm. It was standing out there, hackles fully up, hissing at whatever was standing in my kitchen. And that's when I realized that I had a negative entity in my home and I got rid of it. Uh, and as soon as I got rid of it, the cat went back to normal. And yeah, cats are definitely, definitely spiritual protectors. And they were obviously protecting you. How wonderful is that? Look, I'm really aware it's getting very late where you guys are. <laughs> you must be getting tired. Can I just ask you one more question? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about it. You said that star people are, are quite an integral part of your culture. You have, you, you know, alien extraterrestrials. Oh. Oh. We have so many stories. We can talk about little people too. Yeah. The reason I say that is because I've been an experience in my entire life of star people. Like I said early on from what I said about us not being able to go outside and to uh, stay inside when it starts, um, extraterrestrial, Yes. Have we had encounters with them? Yes. Are there stories of our past and our history long into our ancient? Yes. We were always told when I went, I didn't live, well, when I was back home on the reservation, I was living in the New Mexico part of the reservation in a little town called Crown Point. Um, I had a friend out that way. Like I said, she's the one that was telling me about the skinwalkers being used to hunt game. Right. Um, her family, it was really traditional. And there's a mesa in Crown Point that is notorious for having lights, having objects there. And she has a grandmother that lives by this, um, this little ridge butte area. And she was always told as a kid by her grandmother, and her grandmother was always told as a kid by her grandmother that when you see these lights, go inside. Mm-hmm. You don't bother it. You don't interact with it. You just let it be. Sure, maybe a sheep, cattle, horse may be gone and disappeared, but that's fine. They would always say, go inside. Don't bother it. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't. In Navajo term, it's iya, which means um, scary, scary, or bahadsit, which is you know don't bother it, you just leave it. Yeah, or yeah. like don't talk about it. Yeah, don't talk like about it. Just don't, just don't. Right. So, my hometown, my mom has a UFO story, and not just her. There's actually a lot of people in my community that saw this big oval football looking object that went over our community and when my mom told me that story i was like yeah right so i went around i asked a few people in our community yeah like we saw this thing bright as day in the middle of the night this big football object flew over hung around and then vanished Mm. and there's stories of such things happening long before um, modern world with Native Americans. Yeah, so one of the things too, because we were talking about Mono Valley earlier, so uh, we have a lot of um, old, uh, what do you think, petroglyphs? Yeah. Um, so one of the stories I was always told is um, they, they would call them sky people. Yes. Uh, so we were told that uh, at some point, I don't know if it was our tribe specifically or maybe the Anasazi but they had help from these people, the sky people. So there are actually handprints that are on, we have sheer cliffs. If you look, look at the buttes from Monument Valley, they're very sheer, some of the drops. 
And uh, there have been handprints almost in the middle of these buttes. And it's like, how would people back then, would they suspend themselves or would they build ladder? Like, it doesn't really make any sense why these handprints would disappear right in the middle of these cliff faces. Right. And it's like, wow, like, what is the purpose of it? Who did it? Uh, just something we don't know, but it's just really interesting to know that these things exist and we can't fathom like how they even got there. Yeah. And it goes into saying about a lot of people are pretty, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are familiar with the Anasazi, mm -hmm. the lost tribe of the Southwest. I did mention we had a story about this too. Yeah. Um, I, I have a story about Anasazi and I want to post it on TikTok, but just not yet. The Anasazi were uh, a traditional tribe, ancient, long, long, be long been around that area long before our tribe had been there. Right. Been there long before the Apache. Been there longer than any other tribe that has been there. Um, no one knows what happened to them. We do have a clan system for Anasazi. But in modern world now, even long before modern world, that clan's dead. Mm. It doesn't exist. No one bears that clan or anything. Not even just us. Apache, Hopi, Pueblo, Zuni. Um, we have um, a couple of other southern tribes. I don't remember their names. Um, you have Yapai, Nolam. They have similar clans for um, Anasazi, but no one is gone. It's an extinct clan. Yeah. A lot of people like to theorize that maybe they just kind of integrated with the other tribes in the area. But like my husband was saying, uh, for the Navajo, for us, like we don't know what happened to them. Yeah. Uh, as far as the Hopi, the Apache, like the other surrounding tribes in our the southwestern region, um, nobody really knows what happened to them. But uh, the artifacts and things that, that were left behind for us specifically, and I know it is the same for a couple of the other um, neighboring tribes with us, is we don't touch their mm -hmm. stuff. It's cursed, funny, is what we, we would say. And the funny part about that, too, is their ancestral homeland, nobody lives there. Yeah. There's no one that occupies their ancestral home. So they're known as the cliff dwellers. So, yes. um, yeah, so like a lot of the very popular uh, home, like almost like adobe looking homes that are carved into the cliffs, uh, that's usually the Anasazi. But um, a lot of natives don't, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like we are talking about that conflict of um, a Christian upbringing, but still learning tradition and culture and stuff like that. Even though me and my husband were raised in Christian households, we were still brought up that if you see like, anything that belonged to the Anasazi, like pottery, arrowheads, um, things like that, or their dwellings, like not to go in there because they're, it's cursed. And I actually have a story of being a kid growing up and taking a piece of pottery. Oh. So would you like to hear it? I'd love to hear it, please, yeah. So 
I lived in a small town called Lukachuka Community, uh, Lukachuka, Arizona. Uh, we went to like boarding schools, community schools and stuff like that. And not a lot of Native Americans at the time had degrees to become teachers right. at these schools. So a lot of the teachers were non-Native, white mostly, that would come and teach at these schools. So um, the story I'm about to tell you is about such teachers, two of them, um, that befriended my parents through because they were Christian as well. And there was no actual Christian church in Lukachukui that was Pentecostal. Right. So my family, those teachers would get together every Sunday and have service. Oh, actually, it's really kind of interesting. Um, since you're talking about pottery, I think on one of your other uh, podcasts about... Um, a skinwalker, one of the ladies yes. had picked up pottery. Yes. That's actually what it made me think of. And I was like, I don't know if I would have associated that with a skinwalker, but I think to me, that's why I actually sounded more with in lines of uh, picking up something that, that belongs to the Anasazi compared to that. Right. And she saw, she saw a big owl as well or something. So, yeah, so owls actually for us in Navajo, the owls are bad omens. They're messengers. And usually um, if you see it during the day, people will say it's a, uh, usually a sign of death or like somebody um, in your family, close relative or things like that um, uh, is possibly going to pass soon and things like that. Same with a coyote crossing your your path. Oh, wow. Uh, very... Uh, I don't personally do that. I think they're just animals and they're going to But um, a lot of people are very superstitious, superstitious still about things like that. Okay. So anyways, back to my answer to the story. Um, I was uh, a third grader. And this was like, I think around 2002, 2003 era. Uh, we lived in a small town called Lukachuque, Arizona, which is border of New Mexico and Arizona, right along the Chisco Mountains area. Um, these teachers were non-native. They um, moved there to teach um, uh, at this middle school. And uh, our families got together for Sunday services because there was no church, um, but they held their own services in their own home. So they wanted, um, one of the teachers were very outdoorsy. Like I'm talking about having the hiking boots, but the, you know, the shirts and the really high shorts and whatnot, yeah. and glasses. So they were big into hiking and exploring. And they were like, is there really nice places? Because they wanted to see some of these um, these uh, cliff dwellings and stuff like that, like my wife said, mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. We, um, from what my parents thought, we went to a place called Zuni, Zuni, Arizona. Um, we, My dad said he thought that this cliff area belonged to a Navajo tribe because we did do cliff, cliff dwelling as well. We were taught that by the Anasazi. Right. Uh, if you go to one of our hiding places that we did for the United States when we were at war with them, um, Canyon Deshay has quite a few cliff, cliff dwellings. Navajo Mountain has quite a few of them and a, a couple of other places, but you know we were taught that we learned it from them. And um, my dad thought this place was belonged to a Navajo tribe, but it wasn't. We got there, we started exploring around, and my dad knew where we were and was like, uh uh-uh. uh, uh-uh. no, you know. 
And I was a little kid and I knew about the stories and whatnot, but there was this pottery I found on the floor, had sand on it. I kind of brushed it away and it just looked so pretty. The, the, the design on it was just, it caught my attention, my eye. And it looked so nice and I didn't want to say anything to anybody. I picked up the pottery, I put it in my pocket. At the end of the trip, we went back home and I was just so fascinated by this thing. And that's the first time I saw a small shadow figure watching me. And as the days went by, I didn't tell anybody about this thing. I started seeing this such shadow figure more frequently. It would run by, it would just stand there and stare at me. And I was wondering why I was doing that. And I was getting scared of it, not knowing what it was. And then um, I finally told my older brother, he's a year older than me, um, what I had. And the first thing he did is he just looked at me and was like, you're stupid. He was getting mad at me, smacked me behind the head and was like, you know, getting really upset with me. So him finally convincing me to tell my mom what I had. I told my mom, and after a, a pretty substantial beating, um, I was uh, shunned for doing that. And uh, I remember we went back to where I picked this thing up. And we offered offerings, like tobacco, sage, and a couple of other things. And I had to apologize I put it back where I found it, exactly where I found it. I put it back, covered it back up, and we left. And I've never seen one of those little figures, shadow figures, ever again. Wow. Did When you saw the figure, did it scare you? Was it a scary, oppressive yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah. It, it wouldn't be close. It would be far. Mm-hmm. And it would just stand there and stare at me. And it's like, I would look and I would like look around and see to get someone's attention to see if they could see what I was seeing. But by the time I would look back, it was gone. Right. I would be laying in my house, not my house, but my parents' house. I'll be laying in my room and I would look down the hallway and I would see it run across. Right. And it, it, it was letting me know that it was there. Right. Until I returned it, offered up offerings and apologizing. I never saw it again. Wow. That's very cool. Well, that's the first one I've heard from from your area. I have heard in other parts of the world, like in Hawaii, uh, when when they take stones from a volcano, they have bad luck and Mm. and stuff like that. So they, the I'm not sure what department it is there, but they keep getting these um, letters sent back to them with stones in them. Um, that people have taken as souvenirs but because they've had bad luck or, or bad issues. So that's not... Interesting that you mentioned that because he, when he says uh, he saw a little shadow person, we have stories about little shadow people that my mom told me before is that they're very mischievous. <laughs> and if you don't offer them, uh, when you see them, what I was told is you're supposed to give an offering of food. And usually if you offer food, they'll leave you alone but if you don't they'll give you bad luck so it's kind of interesting that you mentioned bad luck oh that is interesting that's really cool well look oh, i could speak to you guys for hours you're just so interesting and uh but i'm so aware that like <laughs> we've been talking for uh, nearly two and a half hours now. <laughs>
<laughs> and I know it's really late there because it's half past seven yes. at night here in New Zealand, so it must be like nearly three o'clock in the morning there. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to end this now. But look, thank you both so very much for coming on our show today and sharing your experiences with us. It's been a really interesting and a learning uh, conversation for me. I know I've learned a lot from both of you and I'm sure that my listeners will have as well. Now, before we do close, you're on TikTok. Can you perhaps give my listeners your social media name so they can follow you and check you out themselves? Yes. Um, my name on TikTok is uh, Resnick Bet. That's R E Z underscore N E C K underscore B E T. Um, you can, my uh, Instagram is located on my TikTok page too. So if you click on the Instagram icon, it'll take you to my Instagram page. And if you cannot find me, my profile picture is a Native American with Nicholas Cage's face on it. <laughs> and the other name for it is Che Cage. That's C H E I I Cage, C A G E. So if you look those up, you'll be able to find me. <laughs> I'm assuming that the Nicholas Cage has uh, that Nick Cage has a significance, huh? Yeah, no, no, not really. I just saw Nicholas Cage looking like a native, and I thought that'd be really funny too, because he's a white person yeah. with a native. To, <laughs> I thought it'd be hilarious to use that as my profile picture. <laughs> A lot of people are like, is that Nicholas Cage? I'm like, yes. And I, I tell them, I'm like, it's my grandpa. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, he's not really my grandpa. It's something to get a laugh out of. I have to confess, I never noticed that when I saw the picture. I'm going to have to go back and have a look at it now. Yeah, go look at it. It's funny. <laughs> and, and how about you, Mia? I, same thing. You can just follow me on my husband's uh, Instagram. I think at this point, we've kind of been telling both of our stories on there. So if you yeah. want to hear anything else we have on there, you're more than welcome to follow my husband and take a, have a listen. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I know I look forward to your little updates that you put out. I, I, I'm really enjoying TikTok. I have to say my kids think it's hilarious that I'm on it. Because <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so old and I'm on it. But, yeah, it's really cool. So I'm really <laughs> glad I came across you both. It, it's been a really awesome conversation thank you so much for your time i know it's close to 3 a.m where you are so i really appreciate your staying up this late to talk to my listeners and i thank you so much for your time thank you yeah, appreciate thank you it. for having us I want to thank Mio and Isaiah for sharing their experiences with us all, especially since they stayed up so very late, or rather so early in the morning, so we could have our conversation. I understand that for them to share what they have openly and so publicly actually is a very brave thing to do. I appreciate them immensely, and I also really enjoyed listening to them and seeing them interact together. They're a very cute young couple and I absolutely wish them all the best in their continuing journey to help educate us all on this subject. Coming up next episode, I have a most interesting UFO case. 
one that my guest was involved in as a child when a UFO crashed, yes, crashed, in the swamp behind his mum and his aunt's homes way out in the country. How his mum was threatened by military and government officials who turned up to clean all the debris and take the ship. They threatened his mum that they would remove him from her care if she did not go along with the official story that they put out. This is a fascinating story, one you won't want to miss. This episode's bumper music is called Native American Spirit. I love the native flute in it. It has such a beautiful tone. If you enjoy our podcast, then please consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members only page on the podcast website that has bits which end up on the digital cutting board and some good bits as well. And you can download full written transcripts of each episode and you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude. Patreon.com forward slash MCC15. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10. TikTok under walking underscored the underscored Shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well, Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, Open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you have any questions or any comments or anything that you might like to share with me, you can email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thanks for listening to this episode. Kakite ano oyakoi. I'll see you again. Thanks for listening. 